welcome back to Making It. My name is Mirabelle, and on this episode, we're joined by my friend Daniel Pelton for the first in-person recording of the podcast, which is super exciting. Daniel is a composer, a multi-instrumentalist, and Andrew Garfield's best friend, which we get into later. He's an advocate for cold exposure therapy and Wim Hof breathing, so if you ever want to chat about these things or you don't know what it is, you can go talk to Daniel. We get into how he recorded an entire album of chamber music with none of the musicians in one room, which is crazy, but you know, the pandemic and all of that. I thought it was really interesting what he had to say about improvisation because we started talking about classical music and jazz and popular music. And I mean, I think we're both on the same page where we think improv is kind of, is fundamental and is kind of the core, the root of music making. But you know, a lot of especially classically trained musicians say that they don't know how or they can't improvise. But I think I think we all can. It's just that some of us haven't really been able to explore that path before. But yeah, we talk about that in the podcast, so listen for that. And I hope you enjoy the episode. I hope you enjoy what Daniel has to say about music, about his life, and all that. So if you like it, please rate and review the podcast, leave a comment on the socials, and go listen to Daniel's other compositions. But like after after the podcast. Hello, Mirabelle. How's it going? Good. Thanks for coming on my podcast. You're welcome. Yeah. Our fans have a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, your patrons. Off, yeah, my patrons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Who, and uh, yeah, yeah. Who, who are my patrons? Is that what you're going to ask? Sure. Yeah. A lot of people. Um, Gandhi. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Neil Armstrong. Wow. Yeah. So, Daniel, who are you? Um, I'm Daniel. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Nice to meet you, Daniel. Yeah, you too. Uh, no, we can say I'm a saxophonist and composer from the Calgary area. I, uh, I've done a lot of cool things in the last few years since... Uh, You're famous. I'm famous, yeah. You're famous. I've, uh, I started and still lead the uh, Calgary Horn Band, Long Time No Time, so that's a lot of fun. I was the inaugural composer in residence with the Calgary Public Library, mm-hmm. which is a position I created by emailing the Calgary Public Library. <laughs> Amazing. They should have a composer in residence. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I lead the Daniel Pelton Collective, which is coincidentally my name. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> when that's a, it's a rotating collective of musicians who play solo and chamber works that I write in kind of the new Western classical music genre mm-hmm. when I'm not doing fun music with my horn band. Yeah. Yeah a lot of stuff it's a decent amount of stuff how do you keep up with everything um well i have a music degree that's how you keep up with everything (laughs) well i don't really have a job (laughs) so i don't have a lot of other stuff going on to distract me nice yeah 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 (laughs) that's cool i mean i'd like to have a job but yeah somebody give daniel a job yeah (laughs) So, so that he's not here on this podcast talking to me well you're paying me for this yep yep (laughs) how'd you get started with music that's a great question actually um my mom is a pretty decent flautist really yeah (laughs) wow yeah 
So she was kind of my introduction to like wanting to play music because she was always, she did flute. She also did recorder. She was one of the few people who showed me that recorder is an actual real instrument. Nice. And not just like the elementary school hot cross buns uh-huh. bane of our <laughs> lives. But she showed me that the recorder was really cool and she had a flute lying around and she had like a guitar lying around. So all, all my instrument stuff kind of came from my mom and the first saxophone that I ever played was actually a saxophone she played for high school band oh, I think so cool. yeah I played saxophone in high school band for a oh, bit nice for like two weeks yeah <laughs> <laughs> too much for you <laughs> <laughs> so your mom taught you or got you into music yeah well she yeah. got me into like playing music and then my dad like we were talking about earlier he's he's an audiophile so I always grew up with my dad like upgrading the stereo and upgrading his record collection and always showing me like you got to listen to this music on these and so like I was exposed to a lot of like performing music with my mom and a lot of like listening to music with my dad it's a nice balance yeah yeah Yeah. and so you put that all together and, (laughs) and you got a guy who likes to listen to and play music wow yeah (laughs) then you get a Daniel Pelton there it is there you go (laughs) what about composing yeah so I guess I might be a little unique, maybe that might sound pretentious. I don't know, but <laughs> I for personally, and this doesn't like nobody else has to feel this way, obviously, but I never understood the point of like getting a music education if I wasn't going to be making my own music with it because like music that other people have written is cool, but music that I've written is kind of cooler because it's mine. Yeah. And, I, and so that was kind of always something that I was doing like I was as I was learning instruments I was always like writing my own licks and like seeing what could be turned into songs and whatever and you know nothing like genius level at first but pretty quick it was genius level (laughs) (laughs) prodigy yeah Yeah, no but um that kind of creativity and I think just from like listening to so much music growing up like Mm -hmm. specifically Frank Zappa I shout out Frank Zappa at every opportunity but like he just made such a wide variety of like crazy wacky weird music that consistently surprised and inspired me that I was like I I could I gotta write some music too so it was always just kind of a given that you know I'd be writing some music yeah man I love composing so much yeah (laughs) Yeah, we were talking earlier how you kind of just like went for it and made that like major university degree kind of cater to your own like compositions and all of that because you didn't really like playing <laughs> the classical rap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for listeners who are unaware, um, the modern saxophone repertoire, so we're talking like not jazz, not any of the like fun John Coltrane stuff, but like if you're coming from the legacies of the box and Beethoven's into the world of modern saxophone, um, the saxophone was invented in the late 18th century. So all the cool composers were already dead <laughs> and had not written anything for saxophone. And so if you're looking to be a classical saxophonist, you're not getting a job in an orchestra. And, you know, there's you're not playing your fun little string quartets or your, you know, little wind group things. You're yeah. you're doing weird, very weird, like intentionally not enjoyable, challenging to listen to, more challenging to play modern music. And yeah. so that did not appeal to me as a 
university student. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's good to learn because it's always good to experience new things. And there's a lot of technical mastery that goes into that kind of stuff. So yeah. like good to learn, not great to perform <laughs> and not super great to dedicate a career to, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Other, other people can do it. Yeah. yeah. What instrument would you want to play if you, you know, what instrument do you wish you could play? <laughs> That's a better way of wording that. I can play every instrument. <laughs> um, if I could go back and do it all again from a career perspective, it would probably be like piano and violin. Oh, yeah. Just because violinists get all the classical music jobs. True. And everybody no needs a piano player. Violin. Yeah. Because they, they get all the like accompanying jobs. True. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, you could play piano. You just played some piano. Yeah, but like nothing, like not RCM. <laughs> Yeah, so you mentioned Long Time No Time, your horn band. Sure did, yeah. Yeah, how did that form? Um, Yeah, great question, Mirabelle. So the universe was created billions of years ago. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and it all kind of started there. (laughs) A bunch of stuff led up directly to the creation of my band, all by intention, Mm -hmm. of course. Yeah, no. (laughs) But uh, kind of akin to what I was talking to before as I was in university and I was kind of existing in this, like, modern saxophone world which had has its in, interesting parts but like not not really my thing mm-hmm. and I'm not like the world's greatest jazz saxophone player but I, I can like do some jazzy sounding stuff and I like jazz bands and I like that kind of thing and so I got together some friends who I played in the jazz band with and I was like hey guys I'm gonna write some music and it's gonna be kind of like jazz but not really like jazz yeah. <laughs> But, like, really, it's going to be a chance for me to, like, explore my composing chops, Mm -hmm. which is something really cool. And to kind of, like, just play music that I want to play because it's mine. Yeah. (laughs) And it's going to be, like, we can all get together. We can have some fun with it. We can kind of figure out how it goes. And that I learned some really valuable stuff there, aside from just, like, composing and everything. But, like, project management, Mm. leading people, leading a band specifically, like, leading rehearsals, these are all skills that, like... I feel like people just kind of assume you will get, but it's it's like anything else. You have to put the time into it. You mm-hmm. have to learn and organizing performances. And then like once we got enough music together and we'd played some gigs, we were like, we should record things and like going into recording studios and all, all this stuff. And so it was just kind of really great for me. And I think the people in my band, Andrew Leach, Thomas Dundas, Fletcher Dahlman, Jesse Schwartz. Nice. Shout out to the boys. <laughs> all great people yeah 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 it was it was just good for us to kind of explore music for us with us kind of outside of academia yeah and like I think the Calgary community responded very positively to it we've we've had some great times yeah your shows are very fun I've been to one oh yeah which one (laughs) a while ago I don't even know where was it uh (laughs) catching Mirabelle in a lie she never came to (laughs) Because I've never been to that venue before. It was a bar, I think. Okay. Well, thank no, you for coming. <laughs> it was fun. It yeah. was. It was. You got a lot of people dancing, kind of like a mini mosh pit, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. Which one of your your songs would you say is your favorite? Ooh, good question. Um, they're all kind of my favorite in their own way, and they're they're all kind of very indicative of like where I was at like kind of musically Mm. and what I what I like to do with my songs and what I like to listen to in a lot of music is like just take genres and smush them together (laughs) even if they shouldn't make sense Uh 
because like we have we have a couple just weird songs like our our big one that we open most shows with is called not exactly an overture which like is a musical thing because like overtures start operas and so we usually use it to like start (laughs) sets Uh but overtures don't have words and this has words and overtures normally introduce all the themes that are going to happen in an opera and this does so like (laughs) nice just layers on layers really smart music genius yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it's kind of like death metal yelling with klezmer (laughs) melody and then a latin solo section Mm -hmm. so i like doing stuff like that we have tom bone which i wrote for our bass trombonist tom he raps over it so it's like a hip-hop blues groove Mm -hmm. that ends with a three-part like baroque chorale yeah yeah it's it's wild so just stuff stuff like just basically like if i'm listening to music i'm probably writing music that sounds like that music Mm -hmm. and so it all just comes out yeah and they're like different eras of like long time no time because like we have our first album which was kind of like guerrilla style just me being like uh music 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 yeah. uh recordings <laughs> okay here here it is ah yeah and then we kind of get a little more refined with the next album and then our third album is the live album at the national music center right. with the ufc jazz band and then our fourth album is kind of the like sad boys covid <laughs> like more <laughs> introspective like more intricate songwriting kind of better production but like sad yeah <laughs> right up my alley yeah yeah, yeah. Have, have you listened to all our albums Mirabelle no <sighs> subpar <laughs> podcast host <laughs> you mentioned the uh national music center recording live yeah. recording yeah how did that come about I um at the end of my time at university I approached Dr. Brown who leads the saxophone studio at the UFC as well as directing the jazz band and he's been like a wonderful supportive kind of musical father figure like for my whole time at university he's always been like yeah Daniel do do your things get your projects mm-hmm. I'll help let's go <laughs> and he's nice. like yeah he's a phenomenal jazz saxophonist and like modern weird classical so he like <laughs> he's really he's got the instrument on lock he's a he's a monster yeah. it's it's insane he also plays flute yeah 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 and Amazing. like yeah he's got that slidey head <laughs> yeah, yeah super fun yeah yeah but at the end of my degree i like kind of we went out for lunch because we're bros <laughs> and i said hey dr brown you know i've got like my own horn band thing with like a lot of jazz band people and like maybe I arrange some of our songs and I like write some stuff for the jazz band and we do kind of like a joint show thing and I could come in and like rehearse the ensemble, Mm -hmm. all this stuff. And like, again, he didn't have to say it. He was totally in his rights to be like, get out of here, Daniel, you graduated, (laughs) leave us alone. (laughs) But he was like, this sounds awesome. Like get me. And he was like, before I even handed him charts, like I, I hadn't written charts, I hadn't arranged charts yet. He was like, let's do it. It's, it's <laughs> happening. And he like got me some money nice. and like had me like working for the university as like a guest artist person. And so, I, yeah. So I just showed up with the charts in the fall and like got to rehearse the band and I booked us some gigs. And it was, uh, <laughs> it was kind of a really funny journey because like the National Music Center was like the goal and to do a live album and I like kind of organized all that but I organized like some other gigs too we played like the last defense lounge at the university and we played at the rec room oh 
<laughs> and just both those gigs went like not well at all. Oh, <laughs> which was which is all part of it. Yeah, yeah. Like the uh, like none of the mics worked at the oh. LDL, and then the rec room just straight up did not advertise our show, at, so no one was there. Oh, that's which awkward. Was, it's, it was kind of just like a rehearsal that we got paid for. Nice. Which was baller. Did you guys, were you selling tickets or was the, were these places, venues just paying you to play there? I think the LDL was just free, but it was like on university. So like, mm-hmm. meh. Or like they went into like some jazz band fund for the ensemble, which is fine. But the rec room was really funny because like they paid us like a decent amount of money which was like negotiated beforehand because some venues will do ticket sales and some will just like pay you a flat rate. Mm-hmm. So they gave us a much better flat rate than I was expecting. Nice. And then the guy who was like our agent contact for the venue, like I think he had a baby or something, but like he got really busy with something else. Oh. And so like, I think it was a reasonable reason that the show didn't end up getting advertised, mm-hmm. which is fine, but it like we still got paid because yeah. that was the contract. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Yeah. Good for us. Yeah. Yeah. Love love getting paid when things don't really work out. <laughs> yeah. And then we got to the National Music Center and that cause like by the time we got there, we'd already like messed up in all the ways we could think of. Mm-hmm. So we were kind <laughs> of prepared for Nice. Yeah. 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 You know, when mistakes happen or when things don't turn out the way it should you know, it's there's a reason for things, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's jazz, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the national music center i saw the video of elephant yeah yeah that performing that performance (laughs) that's quite quite a quite a song yeah yeah it's it's great there's some uh, acting in it too yeah yeah Yeah. the uh the actual recording of that like we ended up not playing it very well so it didn't make it onto the album oh (laughs) but uh but yeah, the, the live aspect of it was really good. The, the origin story of Elephant is great because um, it's, it's kind of a mixture of two comic book characters conceptually. It's mm. like a Ghost Rider and Punisher thing because the story of Elephant is that there's like a happy elephant family and then poachers oh, yeah. come and like murder the entire family. And so then Satan resurrects the elephant patriarch and is like, hey... Mm. I will like give you eternal life in return for your servitude and you will like get supernatural powers to go and punish wicked souls on earth to take vengeance for your family. Wow. Which is like a Punisher Ghost Rider origin story because I'm super into comic books and then it's kind of like a death metal. We won best Canadian death metal music video award (laughs) for the elephant music video. Oh wow. Despite the fact that we're a horn band with no guitars. (laughs) Congrats. Yeah, yeah. Really shaking up the industry. Yeah, and so that's just kind of the fun stuff that I was able to do with that group. But yeah, for the live performance of Elephant, we uh, we staged a, a battle between me as the MC of the show and our bassist, Jesse, as the Elephant coming in to, to fight me. Right. Yeah, and so that, that was a lot of fun. You got so many projects going on. You mentioned your Daniel Pelton Collective. Yeah. And you like you just put out a new album for that yeah so the first album debut album yeah the gold coin sessions yeah where did the gold coin sessions name come from yeah so um when i was organizing the recording of what would become the gold coin sessions it was the middle of covid which is a terrible time to organize <laughs> a recording for an album Good i don't you. know why i did that 
but I was working with a bunch of different people and I had, I thought I had secured a grant of some kind. I thought I had some funding. (laughs) And then, so I planned everything and I booked all these people's time and like some big name people, like some really professional, wonderful people from the Calgary community. And like I booked studio time and so I had all this stuff set up and then it turned out that I did not have the funding that I was told I had, (laughs) which is kind of awkward when you're on the hook for all these thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Paying people and making music. And so turns out I had a a gold coin that uh, a now deceased aunt had given me as a teenager. And so I... uh, I called my dad, who knows a lot more about money than I do, because he's not a musician. (laughs) And I said, hey, dad, how much is this gold worth? And he said, oh, it's worth like this much. And I said, "Okay, cool. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to make this album. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, And then while I was talking to the recording engineer when we were recording, because I didn't come up with the name, I was telling him this whole story. And he was like, you should call this album the Gold Coin Sessions. (laughs) I was like, damn, Grant, this is a good, good idea. Nice. Yeah. Shout outs to him. <laughs> yeah, shout outs to Grant. Shout outs to Audio House Recording Studio. Yeah, yeah. Get 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 your stuff done over there. <laughs> um, I think there was a Patreon question that was related to the recording of the Gold Coin Sessions. Yeah. So Connor asks about the Chamber Ensemble Tracks recording sessions. More specifically, when when you're only able to have one person in the recording booth at a time, can you talk about how you coordinated and edited all of that? Because it yeah. seems nearly impossible. How did you do it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's up, Connor? Thanks for the question. <laughs> um, yeah. So this this whole thing was crazy, goofy to coordinate, and like we we did all kinds of things, especially with like the string quartet. Like some Zoom rehearsal stuff happened, which mm. like isn't doesn't really work. Yeah, but no. like we 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 just tried some stuff out. Donovan Seidel, who recorded the second violin part, was actually super helpful because he he does his own recordings and like is an experienced composer mm. in his own right. And he put together a scratch track for us with the two violin tracks and some MIDI, I think, that other people could use to practice to. And it had like all of the retardandos and achels and everything programmed in. Oh, cool. cool. And so we actually just used that for a click track. Nice. So that's good. <laughs> handy yeah 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 so that was good and then really it was just about trusting the artists and their intuition and we'd we'd go from the the bass up so Mm -hmm. we brought andrea case in did her cello track brought megan in you're friends with megan shout outs to the violas yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) so we recorded like bottom up one person at a time which is it's not ideal for like especially because if you're recording like a rock band kind of thing like you're going to be isolating instruments anyways like you're not going to put the drums in the same room as the guitar Mm -hmm. or anything else (laughs) yeah but with the with this kind of chamber music like a lot of it is really just that real-time communication and blending that is really hard to replicate so we recorded all the tracks like one person at a time which was tough and then again grant from audio house recording studios just like baller dude really put it in the work and like edited all that stuff to make it sound like people were in the same room and give it that nice togetherness so shout out to to him that's awesome (laughs) yeah yeah it really does sound like everyone's playing together you'd never know that it was recorded separately yeah yeah 
and yeah. like the the intro track just like trombones it's just joseph pahati and his beautiful <laughs> body just laying trombone track over trombone track yeah and just killing it it's a choir of josephs yeah yeah, yeah. amazing yeah. and then the last track the uh, the female choir track there swells that was a that was an interesting one to record because it's it's just three women mm-hmm. uh louisa adria on like lead soprano and then jenna caspel and charity adlington from meadow drive doing doing the rest of it but there are six to eight vocal lines happening at a time in there and so they just went through and like each of them recorded every vocal line to get that kind of like big big sound yeah and then yeah again grant just having to go in and edit like 18 (laughs) (laughs) vocal tracks yeah yeah do you think that writing for your writing process for a long time no time and your uh well i guess the gold coin concessions um do you find that your process writing process is similar or different um i'd say mostly similar mm-hmm. which is just kind of like hey i think this would sound cool i'll write it down <laughs> <laughs> yeah but what i what i really liked about what happened with the gold coin sessions is because like everybody knew all my long time no time work and like especially the people in long time yeah. no time <laughs> And I did a little bit of a listening party with like some close friends when it was done before I released it. And I like sat everyone down and put put them and they were like, this is so like, especially Daniel to listen to. And I was like, that's good. Good. That's great. Yeah. I would say the big difference is that like in long time, no time, there's a lot of like improv, a lot of solo sections and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that can really like lengthen a song. So you can write like a 30 second head and then be like, and then we'll solo for four <laughs> minutes and it'll be great. Nice. And so this, th- there was a lot more structure in these ones because there had to be, especially the way we recorded it. Like mm. you can't, you can't put a four minute improv section when you're recording like one instrument at yeah. a time. It, it won't work. Yeah. And then I also, I just kind of stretched myself a little bit, like in- instrumentation, especially because I'd never written for like choir before i'd never written for marimba before i'd never really written for strings before right Mm -hmm. so all of this was kind of new and so it was really nice as in the rehearsing and recording process like just bahati on trombone nia devetsis on marimba and all the singers they would because i'd like give them some music and they'd be like okay like what about this like or this won't work so like try this and just kind of like figuring all this yeah 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 that's cool and sometimes it goes the other way where they're like, Daniel, this is impossible. I can't play this. And I'm like, well, just try it and like see. And then <laughs> you like, have oh. to play it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then sometimes they figure it out. And so like we, nice. we all grow. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. I remember taking orchestration um, at, in undergrad. It's it hard. <laughs> Were you in Alan Bell's orchestration class? Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I was in that class too. I yeah. Think. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay we we haven't seen each other in a really long time that's true we've never really hung out (laughs) yeah Yeah. as a saxophonist Mm -hmm. and a jazz player you really know how to improvise right does that come pretty naturally to you um i think a lot of it listening to to the music helps and i i would not call myself like a qualified jazz improv person because that's like a whole language Mm. unto itself and like joseph super not soup but he's like in that world a Mm -hmm. lot more than i am and like you you can hear it in his playing compared to my playing like he sounds like it's kind of like if you learn a different language right and it's like someone who has like all the accents down Mm. besides someone who can kind of like 
ask where the bathroom is. <laughs> yeah. And so I feel like I can ask where the bathroom is in mm. jazz kind of thing. But to like people who don't know jazz, I sound very yeah. good at it, you know. But it, they do have a whole codified vocabulary and stuff. Like it's... It's interesting. Yeah. It, a lot of classical musicians think that jazz is like so free. and so. Ex- <laughs> but it's like once you get into it, it's like almost more obsessive. Yeah. Because yeah. it seems like improvisation is not something that a lot of classical musicians really know how to do. <laughs> I, yeah, I love it. <laughs> and I wonder if it has to do with just like our institutions and like how we're taught kind of thing. I feel like everybody should be able to improvise. Yeah. I I have a lot of fun with it and I feel like I mean I can't improvise jazz, but like I can improvise whatever this genre of like whatever my music is. Yeah. <laughs> like it's pretty fun to improvise and I find it to be I find it to be kind of easy. Mm-hmm. Um but I've spoken to some friends who are in the classical world who don't know how to improvise mm-hmm. and or they find it really difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think listening, again, super important, because if you're listening to music where, like, people are improvising, you're getting those ideas and that exposure. And also, like, if you're listening to music where people are having fun with it, because that's the big yeah. thing, is that, like, it is so fun. It, it is. It is <laughs> so absolutely, like, unlike anything else in the world to, like, be playing and to, like, just be doing your own thing. yeah. And I think with classical musicians, I've noticed this in a lot of stuff when I've worked with them, is rhythm is a huge part of this, mm. right? And a lot of the way that they interpret rhythm, they were kind of <laughs> we're, we're all in the same <laughs> yeah. world, really. Yeah. <laughs> but in, in the classical world, the interpretation of rhythm is not nearly at all the same, mm. I think. Because we, we <laughs> in like in the pop music in the jazz world in the rock world right there's this idea that there's going to be a groove yeah. or a beat or something kind of thing right you don't get that in especially modern classical music and i feel like because jazz happened like early 20th century and that just kind of like blew everyone's minds out of the water yeah and then like response in the classical music world was that kind of like weird written as if improvised or like just kind of really bizarre like oh yeah we can improv too but it's just not fun or good kind of like jazz is born out of more of like a middle class popular kind of culture and like western classical music came from like you know the noble people and it's high art right Mm -hmm. so i guess that kind of makes a bit of a difference yeah but like the thing that is like because when you get someone like there are people you and i went to school with who are just like unbelievably good at their instrument Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. mind-blowingly fantastic (laughs) but if you put if you take away their music yeah and you say like anything in e flat is good so mm-hmm. just like play an e flat scale and like let's let's have some fun and they they can't do it and yeah. even like you can improv on one note right you get a beat and you can just go right and like that can be fun and it's like i think i'm i'm always kind of loath to like 
blame the institution or society <laughs> or something because I think everyone's responsible for themselves mm-hmm. kind of thing but like if you've never played popular music or jazz if you've never like just picked up a guitar and like played two chords and like sung some right like in many ways I think that's a much more pure musical expression because you're not like overwhelming yourself thinking about like oh man all the harmonies all the notes uh, it's just kind of a lot more direct like this is what I'm feeling I am sad I have a good (laughs) you know yeah 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 I yeah I think that's why I've I've been saying this a lot recently ish like on my streams and whatnot of like how um because I kind of have like the classical stuff my side of classical things with flute and everything like that was those that was my academic study and then I always had singing songwriting playing guitar on the side um and I've only recently kind of started to blend the two together Mm -hmm. um yeah I think having that side of like the the pop indie folk stuff has helped a lot with my classical stuff and like putting more life into the classical music yeah and like having more emotion because when you're in school it's a lot of like you have you have to practice a lot and you have to like prepare for performances and so there are like a certain set of standards for these to present right mm-hmm. um and then i i think that personally like i got really bogged down with all of that that i didn't really know how to express myself or the music really yeah or like the composers works um but yeah i think coming out stepping away from that world for a little bit and then going back with a different mindset or a different perspective has been really helpful yeah 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 and we were kind of talking about this earlier at lunch too but just like the idea of actually wanting to relate to your audience and have that kind of real-time communication with them yeah where you say like i'm expressing something with my music and they give it back to you and they say we are feeling something in response to your music (laughs) and that is something that like the classical world used to have because Mm -hmm. this music used to be for again like noble people parties yeah because the prince would want to have like a sick banger (laughs) <laughs> and he'd like call up Haydn and be like, hey, I'm having a big party. The king of France is coming or whatever. His cousin wants to marry his other cousin who lives over here. And so like we're going to have a big party <laughs> and we need like some good dance tunes. So yeah. like let's let let's get it. Yeah. <laughs> and so like a lot of these early symphonies were written for like big drunk parties with rich people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah and all the music we play in the classical world is like rooted in dance forms yeah and like a lot of the ways that it's now presented where you have to sit in your orchestra hall chair for two hours and not and clap be between quiet. movements yeah. yeah and that that's just that's not a human experience and like that just you, you're not enjoying the music if you're like oh man that was really good i want to i can't move oh. <laughs> Yeah, And like having played shows, because I've like played these performances with like dancing, like rowdy people. Mm -hmm. And it's so much cooler when even if it's only for like 10 really enthusiastic, because I've played in like concert halls and stuff too. And if I play like beautifully in a concert hall, or even if I play terribly in a concert hall, because the audiences always do the same things because they're so scared. Mm -hmm. You're going to get the like. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, if you get 10 people who are really into what you're doing and you're, like, and they're, like, dancing and you, like, 
do something cool and they all go like whoa like that's so much more meaningful yeah love yeah. that and especially like at these like the new music concerts especially but even at orchestra concerts you get everyone they're like sitting they're kind of half asleep because they can't <laughs> do anything and then everyone comes out at the end of the concert and like it's always like what did what did you think did did you like was it good you thought it oh it was good okay i didn't know <laughs> which is like if you come back from like yeah a, like a rap concert even or like pop star or rave people mm-hmm. aren't like was that good they're like man i had so much fun like that was awesome when you like threw up because you drank too much <laughs> like a lot of it's not even about the music right yeah. but it's about the experience that you had that the music facilitated mm, yeah yeah i kind of wonder like uh, what the experience would be like for somebody who is not a classical musician or somebody who isn't a musician who attends a classical concert because I feel like a lot of the joy that I get from it is I mean like obviously I enjoy the music mm-hmm. as in it like as it is because with a background in classical music I think like I know a lot of the pieces that they're performing or like I know when the flute solo is happening I'm excited to hear a flute solo or you know whatever solo is happening or like I already know this piece of music and so I'm going for this but like I mean I guess it would be similar to going to some rock show and not knowing the band maybe but I just kind of wonder like if a non-classical musician would appreciate (laughs) appreciate the music in the same way yeah and like I think they definitely could and depending on the personality too because I imagine that a lot of people who are much more reserved and like don't like that kind of rowdy going out to the clubs kind of thing probably really like (laughs) the kind of safety atmosphere of a classical concert but I think it it wouldn't be the same as like going to a rock show where you didn't know the people because that's again a little more especially if it's like general seating or like Mm -hmm. not not a seated audience you gotta dance around you gotta move (laughs) you gotta get some drinks you meet some new people you dance with some new people Mm -hmm. maybe there's a beautiful woman or a man there you know you make some connections yeah true yeah I guess that kind of interaction only kind of may happen at like an intermission at a classical concert. Which is like 15 minutes by the time you're out (laughs) and you use the bathroom, you got to go back. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. pretty much. What about the composer in residency? How did you land that? And what what kind of is that? What do you do? Yeah, yeah, great question. Uh, So nothing because it's over now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, what... What did you do? (laughs) What did I do? Yeah. Um, So for those who don't know, we have a super cool central library here in Calgary. It's a gorgeous building and it's got all this cool stuff in it that a library should not have, like a jungle gym for kids and a cafe and a performance hall and video production rooms and podcast recording rooms Mm. and audio production stuff, all these super cool things. And so they built the library And then they had like an author in residence, which I thought was pretty cool. And then they started expanding that with like historian in residence and like indigenous elder in residence and all these kind of interesting things. And I thought, hey, well, they have a performance hall. They have some recording stuff like there's no music element to this yet. So I sent the library an email and was like, what's up, library? It's your boy, Danny P. (laughs) (laughs) 
check this out <laughs> and i said you know you have all these residencies but there's nothing for like the musical community in calgary and i put together a little proposal of like you should have a composer in residence and it could be like a cool place for people to access music in calgary but like outside the pomp and circumstance of the like orchestral world that mm-hmm. we've been kind of you know pooping on <laughs> we love the orchestral world yeah. <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> but just kind of like a more accessible thing for like all Calgarians to be able to go to. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of gave some ideas for like things that could happen in terms of like concerts and like musical events and sent it in. Never heard anything back. So I figured like, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. you, you try some things and things sometimes don't work out when you're, when you're an independent artist, which is fine. Just means that everyone hates you. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, COVID happened, so I, like, totally forgot about it. And then middle of COVID, like, fall 2020, the library hit me up and was like, hey, this is good. Let's do it. Let's do it now, which was kind of, like, not an ideal time for it. But, like, props to the library for even, like, wanting to do it. So, yeah. And they were great. They were nothing but supportive. And it was, it was tough because I, I wanted to host some in-person talks and mm-hmm. in-person musical things with prominent musical artists in Calgary. I did one with uh, our prof, Alan Gordon Bell. Mm-hmm. Great guy. My other musical father figure. <laughs> Cheating on many. your father figures. <laughs> Daniel's got daddies. <laughs> I'm just going to clip that. Yeah. <laughs> Post that. <laughs> and I did something with Rachel Hardy, who we also went to school with mm-hmm. and who is the, you know, Calgary's famous music person. She's so cool. Yeah, she's doing all the right mm-hmm. stuff, doing all. She's she's getting everything she deserves and we're just a little bit jealous, but very, very just happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she's earned it for sure. Yeah. And then I did some there was a, there was an indigenous musician on staff at the library and so I managed I did an event with him about like what what is the indigenous music culture like and like how is it different and how is it similar to like what I might know from mm. Western stuff. And so all of that was supposed to happen in person, but it all happened in Zoom. Yeah. Which, you know, Again, it happened and that's cool. Mm-hmm. So we're we're grateful for that. And then I put together a chamber orchestra and wrote an hour of original music for chamber orchestra. And then the concert just kept getting canceled and pushed back because it's COVID everything. And so yeah. it still hasn't happened. I'm not sure if it'll ever happen. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. But again, the library was super supportive and they... They, they tried to make a space for a thing and it was cool. And I, I think I, I managed to do as much as I could with it, with what I was given. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you'll do it again? Like, will you reapply for it? Um, it's kind of up to them if they want to, like, do it again. Because mine was kind of the pilot program. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of worried because it just didn't really work out. Because <laughs> it would be super cool to, like, yeah. not just for me to go back, which I don't think would be allowed. <laughs> but, like, it'd be cool to have created something that, like, yeah. keeps coming back for other people to have this opportunity. Yeah. That'd be really cool. Yeah. 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 Did you ever think of, like, taking the chamber orchestra works and just kind of reorchestrating them for, like, for your the Daniel Pelton Collective kind of stuff? Yeah, well, I'll still call it Daniel Pelton Collective whenever it happens. Mm. Yeah, because great name. Great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Props to whoever came up with that name. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> no, but... um. The collective was part of their naming, too. <laughs> yeah, it's all just my legal name. <laughs> I just go by Daniel Pelton for short. <laughs> yeah, no, but... um. 
I, I would have loved to record some of that stuff, but like it was tough enough recording like a quartet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, now that everything's a little bit more open, yeah, it's possible to record everyone together at the same time. Yeah. 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 For sure. And I've been like, <laughs> I've been sending stuff to like different orchestras around Canada and oh, new nice. music groups just kind of being like, hey, I've, I've done this. Mm-hmm. If, and it like, it, it's written. So like if if you want to play it, that would be cool. Yeah. (laughs) What kind of, is it also just like a kind of mishmash of genres? Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of the classic Daniel Pelton style. (laughs) Nice. But uh, the the big work that I'm really proud of, actually, it's, um, have you read The Tattooist of Auschwitz? No, I haven't. Really happy story. (laughs) oh yeah no. i've heard yeah no but um i'm of jewish heritage myself your socks yeah. are um, props to the- <laughs> <laughs> for all the youtube people out there but i i read the tattooist of auschwitz one of the worst years of my life i decided to re- <laughs> i was having Good a timing. really bad time and i was like you know what helped me out this holocaust book oh no <laughs> Which, like, kind of did, because, like, a little bit of perspective. Mm. I was like, you know what? It could be worse. (laughs) I'm very lucky, actually. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, But for those who don't know, Tattooist of Auschwitz is a historical novel based on the incredible true story of uh, these two people, Lali Sokolov and Guido Furman. I hope I'm saying their names right. I don't know. (laughs) But um, Lali Sokolov worked at Auschwitz he was he was a Jew who was deported to the death camp but he could speak like most of the mainstream European languages so he was more useful alive than mm. dead to the Nazis and so it became his job to tattoo all the new arrivals mm. which is horrific mm-hmm. but he would talk to them and like tell them where to go and give them their tattoo yeah. and mm-hmm. terrible yeah and then one of he met this woman who he tattooed who came into the camp and he was like that's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my whole life. And I'm going to live through this and I'm going to make sure she lives through this and we're going to get married. And they did. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Which like, holy. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyways, I read the book and then, you know, you read those books and you kind of come out of it and you're like, oh man, <laughs> well, oh no. So I was in a bit of a state. And so I, I was so like, so you wrote a whole do... bunch of pieces for chamber orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, I wrote one and it just started with like two lines of music because their tattoos were three, four, nine, zero, two and three, two, four, zero, seven. And did like, you use the pitches. Yeah, oh my I did. Gosh. I, I hate <laughs> you did the composer thing. <laughs> I hate 12 tone music. <laughs> like, okay, well, I don't vibe with a lot of 12 tone <laughs> music. I, I don't think it's the best compositional tool it's not really something i would throw on put in my playlist no but no, no can you briefly explain what 12 tone um yeah it's where you assign each pitch a number from zero to 12 so there are 12 tones in chromatic music and uh then you kind of ins- it it attempts to deconstruct the hierarchy of tonality Right. Where you have tendency tones and like, you know, you have what key you're in and how things should resolve. And instead you just like make your own pattern of the 12 notes, trying to destabilize any kind of tendency tone or center of pitch. 
which is an interesting exercise for sure, but like not a great time. No, <laughs> learning about it was kind of hard. <laughs> yeah, but what I did wasn't quite twelve tone music because I, I took the twelve tone counterparts and it's three four nine zero two three two four zero seven. I'm a music. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But all of those notes make up an A minor blues scale. Ooh. Yeah. Not in the order they're presented, but like it's all there. Hmm. And so then I, I kind of made like a little jazz waltz motive and then cool. use those, the, the number, the motives as melodic things. If you give them a swing. Do, do, da, do, da, 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 da. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. I really and want to hear this chamber work. Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell somebody. <laughs> the CPO won't email me back. Oh, well, that's awkward. <laughs> Actually, they did. They, uh, I emailed them my music and they emailed me back and were like, do you want to work with our children's program? And I was like, yes. But what about, what do you think of my music? And they were like, yeah, our kids program is really cool. <laughs> And I was like, okay, thanks for the job. Teach them about 12 tone. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but that's one of the works for chamber orchestra. And then I did just kind of like a rock and roll style nice. one with just like a groove and kind of introducing sections of instruments with mm. some fun little things because the orchestra should be fun. Yeah. 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 What like instrumentation is this? Okay. So I always put saxophones in of my course. chamber orchestras because <laughs> like somebody's got to start doing it. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, but it's essentially a string section and a brass section and a saxophone section. So no, no flutes. <laughs> You're just getting rid of flutes now. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna sub sub flutes with saxes. Yeah, there can only be one. <laughs> the woodwinds are all out. Yeah, correct. <laughs> They've had their time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't. Oh. I don't want to be in this new world that you're creating. <laughs> you're not. There's I can't no be flutes. In this new world. <laughs> one of my and then one of my favorite ones is um. Did did you listen to Long Time No Time's most recent album, Tough Times? Did you do okay? Well, I have a very heartfelt introduction to that, which describes the circumstances of our bass trombonist Tom Dundas falling mm. three stories off a right. house. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's scary. Yeah, he's fine now. Uh, yeah, and, like that worked out so unreasonably well for him that like don't even feel bad. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> really? he just, yeah. Okay. He just chilled. Like everyone took care of him because he like both his wrists were broken <laughs> and, oh along gosh. with lots of other things. But like, yeah, yeah, he just chilled, and like his girlfriend came and took care of him for like three months. Wow. And then they went out to Vancouver, and he got a job working on Snowpiercer, and like. He's he's living his best life. Nice. So just don't even. <laughs> well, congrats, Tom. Yeah. But when he fell, we like had a kind of Zoom gathering in solidarity with Tom because we couldn't go see him because yeah. it wasn't allowed. And uh, my father, foolish man that he is, wrote a limerick. Oh. For Tom. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I see where this is going. Yeah. It was a great limerick. It went thus. Tom went up a tree on a ladder. I'm tough, he said. No one is badder. But Tom, he was wrong, and the tree wasn't strong. When he fell, no one was sadder. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, pretty baller, Dad. <laughs> 
And so anyways, I, uh, cause Tom was supposed to be not only recording with my band, but also in my chamber orchestra when he rudely fell. <laughs> <laughs> and so I took the limerick that my dad wrote and I set it to music in four movements. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> With interpretive dance. Oh, wow. Yeah. And wow. like a whole story. It was it was going to be great. It was going to be something anyways. I look forward to the day that we can watch that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. That That's the kind of stuff that I did for the library. Do you compose with like one instrument and then orchestrate it? Or do you kind of just orchestrate it? <laughs> great question. And I'll, I'll do both. I'll, mm. I'll kind of do whatever. Cause like sometimes like I'm playing, you know, I'm playing saxophone, I'm practicing and like a cool lick will come out and I'll be like, Oh, that's a cool lick. And I'll like write it down, save mm-hmm. it for later. And then sometimes I'll just take the lick and throw it in Sibelius and be like, what sounds cool under the lick or mm. whatever. Yeah. And then other times I'll be like playing guitar and I'll be like, these are good chords. And then I'll have a chord progression and then I'll put the lick with the chord progression and I'll be like, oh, (laughs) music. (laughs) Bam. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then sometimes like I've I've recently I've started actually getting like private contracts. Like people hit me up and be like, write me a music, Daniel. (laughs) I'll be like, oh, cool. Yeah. And so that kind of stuff is interesting because they'll give me like, I want a music that sounds like this. And they're not musicians or Mm -hmm. else they'd write their own music. Yeah. So it's kind of. Working with that kind of stuff is interesting because I'm like, okay, does this sound like this? Yeah. And they're like, (laughs) yes or no. Yeah. That's, yeah. Um, Because I've been working on um, a video game project with some people that I met through Twitch. We formed this little team um, called the Big Sad Productions. (laughs) Are y'all okay? (laughs) You need somebody to talk to? (laughs) That's why we're making a game. (laughs) You should read a Holocaust book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I should. Yeah, well, I mean, the game surrounds mental health um, things. So, but yeah, with that, like, the game dev is not, he's not really, he's not a musician. Um, so, like, we've been working together making some music, and he tried to explain what he wants, and I would be like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I'll just, I'll try and make something, I'll make a couple different themes or whatever, and then give it to him to see what he thinks and then and he's like yeah this is perfect and I'm like oh, okay cool <laughs> it's it's an interesting kind of exercise to like take descriptions of what other people say and want and then trying to turn that into music I think yeah 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 and what's nice is a lot of the time like you can especially if they're not musicians they can be like I didn't want this and you get to be like yeah you did <laughs> I'm I'm the musical I, I'm expert a pro. yeah <laughs> I have another patron question. Yeah. Daniel says, hello, Ooh, nice other name. Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Sounds handsome. Um, how do you feel about Mr. Saxo Beast? I don't know who that is. Okay. <laughs> um, he sounds cool. I feel, I feel, I got, I get good vibes from, uh, the Sorry, name. Saxo Beat, not Saxo Beast. Uh, <laughs> he might be the, like, beatboxing saxophone guy on YouTube. Looks like, um... Looks like it's just, it's a song. Oh, it's just a song? Yeah. It's a song by a Romanian singer. You want to listen to it? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give some live feedback. Oh, this song. It's got a, it's got a good kind of, you know, bright, nasally pop sax sound. So that, that's cool, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it it sounds good. I I got nothing bad to say about it. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. What's your What's your favorite saxophone to play? There are so many. Mine. Different... Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. Yeah. No, that's not true. No, it's kind of true. But um, the the technique across saxophones is all the same. So like yeah. whether you're playing like Barry through to soprano, like same fingerings for the same notes, even if you're in different keys, and like the the breathing and the embouchure and the tongue and all that, it's gonna be pretty much the same mm-hmm. uh barry's just super fun because it's yeah. there's so much power behind it you're so low and you got so much like the saxophone has the most attack out of the woodwind mm-hmm. family i feel like we get a good like da, da. Yeah. so with flutes you you don't quite have that <laughs> it's pretty airy yeah yeah if you do it a little too hard the note just like jumps up yeah. three octaves <laughs> yeah and the clarinet yeah. is kind of subdued. Mm. Yeah, the oboe is the oboe. <laughs> <laughs> we love oboes. I love oboes. That's great for you. <laughs> <laughs> We're not here to offend any instruments. <laughs> I am. <laughs> There's one podcast episode. I actually mentioned this in the last episode. Mm. Um, but uh, so my friend, who is a violist, Megan. Megan. Yeah. On another episode um with matt walden uh we were talking about strings and having string arrangements in our songs Mm. and we're like yeah we love cello so much and violins yeah so good and and we stopped mentioning string (laughs) instruments and my friend got offended (laughs) sorry megan so you know violas are great violas exist (laughs) Do you have any other plans with uh, the Daniel Pelton Collective? Yeah, I want to. Uh, I just did a feature concert with the Kensington Symphonia. Oh, yeah. Some cool music that I rearranged and wrote for strings. And it's kind of all basically like saxophone features with strings mm-hmm. where I just kind of shred and the strings do stuff. Yeah. And so I'd love to record that. So that'll happen one day, <laughs> maybe. Love um, it. Yeah. <laughs> I just I don't have any more gold coins so like the, <laughs> the recording budget is tight yeah. yeah but I I got stuff I got the orchestra stuff which will happen sooner or later one day mm-hmm. uh going back to the saxophone question though because like there there are some itch I don't know what the flute brand scene is like but with the saxophones you have like your Selmers your Yamahas some other mine's Japanese handmade Yanagisawa fancy sponsor me <laughs> you make great horns but um the selmers are kind of like the saxophone brand Mm -hmm. especially like going back to the old days of jazz and there's a legendary horn model called the selmer series six from like world war ii era oh wow yeah and like a certain serial number grouping within that selmer series six or the mark six maybe it's called my bad bad saxophones <laughs> but like the the legends go because they're legends that these horns were made out of like melted shells from like world war ii oh, battlefields uh-huh. and so like these horns i've played one i found one when i thought i needed a new saxophone but then it turned out i didn't but i was shopping around and i found this collector and he gave me this like really old like prime mark six selmer and like the intonation is crazy. The tone is phenomenal. And it's like, everyone says like, you know, they have the soul of despair and stuff from the World War II battlefields. And like, they 
I think wow. it's true because like <laughs> so, something else came out of me when I was playing this horn. It was it was crazy. That's magical. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I think we should have more wars to get more prime to spare metal for <laughs> saxophones. Uh, <laughs> mm. Yeah. Wow. That's that's really cool though. Yeah. Do you have a favorite flute? Mine's uh, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What kind of what kind of flute do you have? Uh, it's a Miramatsu. It's Japanese. Oh, nice. Yeah. Let's also, go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about comic books, and I think, like, in the X-Men, they have something called a Miramatsu blade, which is, like, forged with souls. Wolverine uses it to, like, go fight the Yakuza or something. Yeah. I'm going to Google it real quick, because if I'm wrong, like, some comic book nerd on the internet is going to find out, and he's going (laughs) to come for me, and he's going to be like, this absolute idiot muramasa blade oh. that's my it's not even close that's well kind of close <laughs> starts with an m but <sighs> sorry what are your favorite comics i'm a big spider-man guy oh yeah like huge what do you think of the movies um i have a lot of stuff to say i met andrew garfield and we were gym bros so like mad respect mm-hmm. to the amazing spider-mans and andrew garfield of course uh-huh yeah 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 um but Tobey Maguire, the Sam Raimi, the original Spider-Man trilogy. Sorry, great. <laughs> Jim Bros with Andrew Garfield? Yeah. Like, that's such a random, that's the most random thing. I know. Can you give more details? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a Jim Bro is like when you're at the gym. <laughs> I'm never talking to Daniel again. <laughs> that's what everyone says. <laughs> No, but um, Andrew Garfield was here last fall in Calgary. He was filming Under the Banner of Heaven. I think, okay, sorry. When you mentioned him earlier today, yeah. that just flew over my head. Yeah. I was just thinking of all the Andrews that I know of. <laughs> yeah. I did not piece it, that together at all. I, I thought you were just being cool. No, I yeah. just... <laughs> now I know you're not cool. <laughs> Yeah, but um, Andrew Garfield was filming Under the Banner of Heaven and he was like doing some Calgary shoots and like just I think like Didsbury like stuff around the Calgary area. Mm. And um, I think it's set in like 1980s Ohio or Utah, like rural America kind of thing. And they they needed a marching band for some like high school parade scene. Mm -hmm. And Tom Dundas, my badly balanced bass trombone player, (laughs) he's in... um, this marching band in town called the Cowtown Collective mm-hmm. and like they were the only marching band kind of operating because COVID was happening and so they got background gig work nice. for the thing so they like got to be on set and like get paid and That's do some cool. marching yeah very cool and just like you know marching bands just aren't things I, I never thought about it until I met Tom but anyways so I was at the gym Repsol Center shout out to the Repsol Center <laughs> sponsor me <laughs> But um, I was in the steam room at the Repsol Center and I was like, hey, that guy has Andrew Garfield hair. And then I was like, Andrew Garfield is filming in town. And I was kind of like, yeah, cool. And I was like looking at him and it was steamy, you know, <laughs> I was like, that is Andrew Garfield. So I'd notice Andrew Garfield and I'm like, instead of just going up and being like, you're Andrew Garfield, I get to kind of be like, oh, like I know the marching band that's working on your oh, film stuff. You're like, sneaky with yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of cool and like. You know, so then we start talking and blah, blah, blah. And then like Andrew Garfield and I share a passion for a cold water therapy, it oh, turns yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the Repsol Center, shout out to the Repsol Center, sponsor me. <laughs> they have sponsor a, Daniel. Yeah, <laughs> they have a, a, a cold pool for sports recovery. 
And so like I'd go to the gym and like he'd be in the cold pool and I'd go in the cold pool and we'd just like get to talking and being cold together. (laughs) And I taught him some Wim Hof breathing, which is meditative breathing technique we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Wim Hof. (laughs) (laughs) Shout outs everywhere. Yeah, just got to share the love. (laughs) Shout out to Andy Garfield. Mm -hmm. You guys are bros. We're bros. Gym bros to be exact. Gym bros, yeah. But, you know, we'd just start hanging out, and then I invited him to a long time, no time show, and then he said he might come if he wasn't busy, and then he didn't come, <laughs> which is because he's busy, or he's just being polite. Mm-hmm. But the next time I saw him, he was like, sorry, I couldn't make your Aww. show, man, Like I was, which is oh, like, he sweet. remembered who I was, which yeah. was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, and then like, Tick Tick Boom had just come out, so I got to talk to him about music. Wow. I was like, do you sing normally? Like, are you a piano player? And he was like, I had to learn for the movie, and like, Lin-Manuel Miranda, like, helped me with all this stuff, and Ooh. I got to be like, what's it like working with Lin-Manuel Miranda? And he was like, terrible. I hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, he said Lin-Manuel Miranda's a really cool guy. Yeah. It's like, endlessly creative, so like, oh man, yeah. And then we, I kept being like, we should get beers, and he was like, yeah, that'd be fun, but we were in the pool. <laughs> with bathing suits on <laughs> so we didn't have phones uh-huh. so like we couldn't really exchange and he asked me oh, to like yeah. leave my number at reception at the desk a couple times Aww. which i did but like oh. <laughs> you know it's not their job to pass phone numbers right. on and so yeah. like hmm. i bet like a lot of people were probably doing that too. like if i'm like andrew garfield <laughs> totally wants my phone number they're probably yeah. like okay sure yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we never did get beers but dang I like to think that we will one day. You will one day. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're such a sarcastic person that like <laughs> when you mention this the first time, it's just like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that, that's fair. <laughs> I've earned that. That's really cool though. Yeah. Wow. Spider-Man. 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 Toby Maguire? Mm. Toby Maguire. <laughs> Do you, were you, are you Jim Bros with Toby Maguire too? No, no. Oh. We go to the same uh, Pilates club. Mm. Yeah. Is there a word for that? Like Pilates bro? Yeah, Pilates bro. Okay. Yeah. Tom Holland and I take cooking classes together. Okay. It's all. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, but uh, Toby Maguire, those films. Um, I love all the Spider-Man films. I, I should say that straight. Like, mm. they're all cool. And it's just great to see how the character evolves in the public eye as a fan. But I felt that... Tobey Maguire, that those films were the best Peter Parker and kind of a weaker Spider-Man because Spider-Man typically in the comics talks a lot in the suit. He's kind of like more of a Deadpool Mm. type, like sense of humor, kind Mm -hmm. of always filling the silences because the whole idea is that Peter Parker is not likable. He's it's I I talk about this a lot and I can talk about this for a really long time (laughs) Uh I've read a lot of Spider-Man comics but when Peter Parker the character debuted in the 60s like he was very much that kind of sweater vest pocket protector like just begging to be bullied kind of nerd like orphan just no confidence Mm -hmm. like smart but just you wouldn't be caught dead with him like no matter what and that archetype kind of just doesn't exist in the modern world like it would feel very anachronistic to have that kind of character but the the whole point is kind of that like you have absolute loser nerd who then gets these powers and like not not so much a Jekyll and Hyde kind of transformation but definitely like a night and day Mm -hmm. like too shy to talk in class to like making quips at bank robbers kind of character and so the the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy kind of 
didn't take advantage of that as much as it could, but I thought Toby Maguire did a great job kind of cultivating that loser nerd. This is a compliment, you know? <laughs> You're a great nerd. Yeah. And then the amazing Spider-Man films really built out the Spider-Man side of the character a lot more. Mm-hmm. But like Andrew Garfield's just kind of too cool to <laughs> like be that that much of a nerdy loser. And again, I think like by the time 2010 had rolled around, like there's just it would feel weird to have that in a film, that yeah. kind of character. And so then Tom Holland's Spider-Man kind of, it's just kind of doing its own thing. And I think it's maybe the most balanced presentation of the character so far. But again, like in the kind of Marvel cinematic universe of these like sexy, cute buff <laughs> dudes playing all that, like yeah. that Peter Parker is not supposed to be that. We were talking a little bit about film scoring earlier. Yeah. Like that was something that you were into before, but not so much now. Yeah, yeah, just like from my own personal creative side of things, I I really enjoyed films with memorable, like singable themes, Mm -hmm. the classic John Williams scores for Indiana Jones and Star Wars, and then Howard Shore just knocking it out of the park with (laughs) Lord of the Rings, like, oh my God, aside from like all of the remakes of Indiana Jones and Star (laughs) Wars and everything, Uh all the Harry Potter stuff, like films don't really have memorable themes anymore, it's changed a lot to Mm. kind of like background like emotionally comping just gonna keep punching (laughs) this (laughs) but and that that kind of stuff's still like very interesting and intriguing but like not I kind of want to write music that people will remember and kind of bop to but if someone wants to offer me scoring jobs like I'll yeah (laughs) I'll I'll do it yeah I feel like yeah I don't know I'm still super into film scoring and would love to get more into that world. Yeah. Um, but I guess I can understand that the melodic themes are not so prevalent now. Mm-hmm. Something that was memorable recently that I was not expecting, and like the new Batman movie. I haven't seen it yet. It's great, but the score, like the opening like 10 minutes is just like Michael Giacchino, I think, is the composer for the film. And he just like builds this motive, and it's just like... Ba, 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 like mm-hmm. almost a list funeral march kind of thing but it's just so dark and it just like it just builds and and like I wasn't ready for because like the movie was good enough on its own but like from the get-go I was like this score is like that's why I'm here and I was just like oh that's awesome yeah well I can't wait to watch yeah <laughs> Dune is like the last most memorable thing that I remember watching yeah. um and that score with Hans Zimmer I think is more sound design than yeah than music and I I think that's kind of the way film scoring is going too where it's not just like oh write write some melodies or chords to like fill the scene it's kind of like okay now design the entire like sound scape (laughs) of the film kind of thing yeah which requires just a lot of computer knowledge and expensive stuff (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'm too busy reading Holocaust books for that. <laughs> <laughs> and I also like, I really love the collaborative aspect of music where yeah. you're like working with your buddies to like plan a show or like put a tune together. And like, I feel like sound design is kind of the opposite where you're like very locked in and it's just you and your computer. And yeah, you're that's like, kind of... what does this sound like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I do kind of everything by myself. Right, so... Are you by yourself right now? Am yeah, I real? Yeah, no, you're... Who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but, like, we were talking about, like, the 
the studio sessions and the recording mm. sessions and i'm like i would prefer to just do everything my by myself right yeah yeah maybe maybe you're better suited for for it do you feel like oh it's nice to you know like your what your sound is like and it's yeah. pretty unique yeah have you had any moments where you felt that you should you know fit a certain genre or like fit some other mold absolutely not yeah <laughs> and i think i'm i'm just very lucky to like maybe be overconfident which is a good tool in the musician toolkit and like again shout out to frank zappa because like all his stuff is just so off the rails and like but just owns it and works so well that i i never had any questions that i i could like do something wacky and make it work that's good yeah yeah everyone should listen to frank zappa's music everyone should check out his life he's crazy cool when the when Czechoslovakia had their democratic revolution and became the Czech Republic, one of the first things they did was call Frank Zappa and be like, "Hey, we've been getting arrested for playing your music because communism, but like, oh. want to come over and like be our like free arts representative?" Whoa! Yeah, and then America got all dumb because Frank talks about sex in his songs, and they were like, "You can either work with Frank Zappa or you can work with America." <laughs> Which, wow! like how okay. insecure do you have to be? <laughs> cool. Yeah. I think that's a good place to end. Okay. That was like a nice wrap up of Frank Zappa again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love him. Yeah. I don't think you've mentioned that. Yeah. That's no. okay. Yeah. Who's your favorite artist? Frank Zappa. Oh. Yeah. How do you, who? Sorry. I, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure I caught that. <laughs> Frank. How do you spell that? Yeah. F-R-A-N-K. Okay. Okay. Zappa. Z-A-P-P-A. Okay. Cool. Yeah, cool. emphasis on the PP. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. <laughs> thanks for coming on. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me, Mirabelle. Definitely yeah. link all of your all of your music projects all and right, everything. Cool. Have you watched Encanto? I have. Okay, cool. <laughs> Just because, like, every time I think about your name now, I'm like Mirabelle, Mirabelle. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool to have like a a disney main character with the same name yeah it's really weird watching that yeah yeah cool it was nice chatting yeah yeah for sure